0: You are listening to The Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about psychospiritual and psychosocial aspects of -of end-of-life care. And now, here is your host, Saul.
1: Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of The Hospice Chaplaincy Show. Today we have two wonderful guests, but the topic we are talking about today is understanding the emotional and spiritual needs of siblings of children who have a rare disease. And our guest is uh, Paul Nash, and his wonderful wife, Dr. Sally Nash. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you.
3: It's wonderful to be with you today, and uh, so uh, and pleased that Sally can come and join me this time. It's it's a it's about time you 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 met the proper researcher rather than me.
1: <laughs> and we feel honoured, really. Thank you. So, could you guys give us a little background about this wonderful
2: subject? One of the people that joined Paul's team, Um, her name is Liz, was motivated to join the chaplaincy team because she had a daughter who died. Her daughter got a brain tumour as a a young person, eventually died as a young adult, Um, but they had um, three other children. And one of the issues for the family was what happened to the three other children. The research project we did, um, two of those siblings who are both now medical doctors um, were part of the the research team. And to raise the funds to enable us to do this research, um, a team of them, um, the the parents, siblings and friends of Katie who died, um, went and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and raised funds by by doing that. So the project comes out of the passion of siblings, of wanting um, families, teachers, medical staff to understand what happens with siblings who have a seriously ill brother or sister. And um, part of the, I think part of the desire of looking at this is because um, there's a there's a real desire to stop some of the problems happening happening to the well siblings later down the line because of some of the things that might happen within the family dynamics. So that that's the background of it. So it was a an official um, in, in our. Country language NHS ethics approved so the National Health Service we went through ethical clearance so it's, it's it was a it was a proper um, research um, project I was the principal investigator and as I said two of the siblings were part of the research team um, along with Paul and some some of the other chaplains um, as we looked to take this project forward and and to try to share some evidence based um, work on how siblings feel when they've got a, a chronically sick child and we we it, it it was with um siblings with a rare disease but it that had to be a rare disease that impacts day-to-day life
3: we had lots of opportunity uh for which group of siblings that we could uh relate to and um, but as sally said that we chose uh rare diseases because we had a really really good relationship with that uh, department in our hospital and we had uh, a history of supporting them in their family days and so the way we did the research was uh, as as i've shared before about spiritual play um we were going along to those days and doing spiritual play uh with with the with the siblings and 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 the children And um, so when we approached that team to see whether they would be open to us doing uh, research with them, um, they were very, very open to that. So what we did was, as well as doing the spiritual play, we were offering research as a part of what we were doing on their family days. And we're just overwhelmed by the generosity of the parents uh, taking part in the research and, and being happy for us to ask the siblings uh, to take part as well, and and so it was. It was in a very very conducive environment that we were able to uh, do do this do this research that was very much embedded into the life of 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 the department.
1: It looks like uh, uh, it's, it was a well needed research. Mm. Yeah, it's
3: a very under researched area. I think what's really important was that these were siblings who felt they had a really very good experience of family life in the middle of us of a sibling being poorly in palliative care and then bereaved. Yeah. Um, and so they came at it from a very positive perspective and, a, and a, and they're a wonderful family and we can put the link up of the charity's uh, website. um, And they're, you know, they're, just fantastic, but even you know, as highly functioning um, as they were, they they understood the stresses and strains um, on them as 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 siblings, and and the distance of them looking back, you know, enabled them to have some perspective, um, you know, of of maturity, but of of importance.
1: So, Sally, as the principal investigator, I'm curious to see how, uh, for you. What was, uh, was it due to personal experience? Um, what what was it that made you so excited and take this project?
2: Um, I have a background in working with um, young people. I like um, probably many people originally trained as a teacher and I worked with young people with educational behavioral difficulties. I worked with um, young people in residential homes, and I've always had a passion for um, for, for young people who um, perhaps feel a little bit isolated or in the on the margins, or who are struggling um, I- emotionally. I, so, I've always wanted. I've always worked in those sorts of contexts. So, when the the idea of a sibling project came up, I was really passionate. My I really want to see people fulfill their potential yes. and I know that when you have adverse situations in families it can it can it, it it can impact you so we were really keen to sort of see what perhaps what some of the um adverse outcomes might be for um siblings with um who have a sick brother or sister because um the, the my um I originally studied social policy as an undergraduate and the literature was really clear that if you intervene at the right time um, you can make a difference so w- one of the pieces of work I did was what um you in the U.S used to call preschool compensatory education yes um so the idea that if you you know you you need to intervene as early as possible with people to compensate for some of the some of the issues that they're facing so um I I yeah, from undergraduate onwards, I've had the, I've had this passion to look at how we can make lives better for people. Um, you know, p- particularly in these sorts of circumstances when you know they haven't done anything. Um, you know, I mean, the sick child has usually not done anything either. But it's <laughs> you know, it's, it's just so sad to see people's lives um, lighted in some ways um, through illness. In in the UK, we might talk about twenty percent of young people being young carers. It's not always with a sibling. It can be with a parent or something. Um, and, you know, all, all of us know how demanding um, caring for someone who is um, ill or has a disability um, is. And when you are adding it on top of um, trying to function at school, um, going through adolescence and all the changes and the the challenges of that period, then, you, you know, um, and anything that we could find out that might help um, professionals become more aware you know, I had a particular passion for for schools, as did one of the other um, people who raised funds for the project. But you know, as well as healthcare staff, because you know, for for many of the well siblings, school was one of the places where you know where the rubber hits the road in terms of their their capacity to um, to do homework or to or, or to flourish and to, to fulfil their potential.
1: So what was the method, you know, to get maximum uh, benefit out of this research or maximum knowledge?
2: We had a two-part method. We, um, In research language, it was a bit of a mixed methods project. So we had a um, an existing health-related quality of life questionnaire. It was from a European group called Kids Screen. And they'd already um, normed all the findings to a UK population as well as other um other countries in Europe so one of the reasons for using it is we thought well if this works for this group we may be able to use it with other groups but what I particularly liked about it is they had what they you call a proxy questionnaire so the the sibling answered the questions and then the parent answered the same questions on the on the sibling so you were able to compare how the, the parents saw the siblings' life with how the siblings set, said they saw their life. And so we did these, um, we did these questionnaires. We had 16, um, 16 people, which is the, the number we got ethical clearance to do. It was a small-scale, more qualitative focused study. Um, and so having done the questionnaire, we then did interviews, one-to-one interviews um with each of the, the 16 young people. We chose not to interview the parents. Um, and then we did a focus group for siblings. And then we also did a focus group for staff who worked in this area. So um, and then we looked at sort of triangulating, triangulating that data with obviously the, the existing literature. We obviously did a literature review, as you do in, the, in these sorts of projects. So, um, so that's, um, that's the, the bare bones of the methodology.
1: So, Paul, um, what were the spiritual uh, issues that these siblings uh, faced?
3: one of the ways in which we could uh, answer that um, is um, one of the creative ways which we decided to do this was, you know, presenting research can, you know, can sometimes be a bit dull and graphs Mm. and pie charts and stuff like that. Um, But one of the projects that Sally had also been leading on was from some standards uh, for chaplaincy with children and young people and we'd worked with an animator to present uh, those standards. And Sally came up with the fantastic idea of using the same animator to do an animation for the findings, which I, I think, you know, three years on, I think I'd still be sitting here trying to figure that one out. But, you, you know, that, that's why Sally was the lead investigator. Um, and so what what um, uh, we were able to produce was was an animation in the voice of, of the, the children uh, and the young people. So I think what we'd like to do is to, it, although it is a visual animation uh, that people, your your listeners can go on the website and get the link, um, we'd like to uh, play the animation because they, this isn't the, these are the words of the children and the young people uh, by uh, young children and young people actors. So it's not the children themselves, but it is their exact words and with without any without any editing um and so perhaps you know answering your question of what the spiritual needs are that that our listeners can hear that um f- firsthand from the research from from the quotes how should should we do that now
1: yes
4: just really, really hard work. What if she gets really ill and she dies? It really scares me. He's so tiring. They're always finding stuff about him, like he's got this and he's got that and he's got this and that. Yeah. I can't really go out and do much things. Even just a normal family day out to the cinema is hard because she doesn't like going out. And it's
2: hard for wheelchair access and everything, so we can't do simple things like go to the movies.
4: Sometimes I miss C, and I hope she's okay. I would like my little sister to be a bit more responsible, because she doesn't really care that much. She just thinks she can do what she wants most of the time. I'm worried about my sister's safety often do silly things like trying to cartwheel off the sofa and then like she bends her arm and she has to come to hospital
3: i get sad for no reason i don't know what other reason is
4: i just feel these emotions and it feels like they care about her more than me i uh, used to complain i don't anymore
2: i don't usually say anything because i get told off because apparently, I'm being unfair towards her.
4: They put a lot of effort into my sister, and when occasionally, they try to make me do something like they do her, I don't want to do it. So I try to stand up for myself, and it doesn't really work because they're used to telling her what, she, what she's doing. I sometimes feel sad when I'm left on my own without me, and sometimes, I get fed up with him.
3: It will be hard to achieve what I want to do when I'm older.
4: Sometimes she shouts at us. And I don't really like it and it makes me feel scared. I get angry. I get really angry at people who say things about my sister. One of the disadvantages is like, sometimes you don't get the
3: time to go out with your friends.
4: There are some things I don't talk to my friends about. Because it's private.
3: Teachers aren't really that helpful because I feel like some
4: of the things that happen at home, I wouldn't feel comfortable telling most of my teachers. I don't think a lot of people would understand. My grades are going really downhill because I think a lot about what happens at home.
3: I don't like speaking to no one about how I feel. Don't.
4: For the people around me, I wouldn't be
0: able to get through it.
1: With that, would will take a little break and we'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual
3: care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high quality professional
1: development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Zole and we continue our conversation with Sally and Paul. Uh, Before the break, we played that video and um, there's a lot of emotion you know, hearing what the kids are saying, uh, what the, the emotions they are feeling after, uh, as they deal with their siblings' uh, illness. How do you unpack that?
2: It's very tricky, and it's but it's bread and butter of what chaplains do. They're there to to listen and provide support for the young people So, and um, children. One of the um, presentations we did on this early on, we called um, I Don't Bother called i don't bother anymore and that was a lovely young person from what looked like a great supportive encouraging um family but in talking to one of the chaplains he said well i don't bother telling my parents anymore he didn't say it maliciously or angrily it was just well i don't bother telling them how i feel because they don't have time for it mm. and one of the interesting things sometimes i think is you you get the um well sibling in a sense trying to protect their parent because yeah. they they see their parent a little bit um overwhelmed or at the edge and and the 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 older more mature ones that you know, I think they they make the decision well I'm not going to add to my parents load the parents would be devastated to hear that because they you know they they would still want to and perceive themselves as as parenting all of their children but um the the, the sibling had a was very disabled and it just takes um took the parents so much time just to provide the very very basic care um and sadly over here the 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 support care packages in place for severely disabled children isn't always um great um either Pl- plus you have all the dilemma of do, do you want to have strangers keep coming into your house but mm. um no it, there were very very deep emotional things we were um just felt so privileged that they said those things to us because they were largely being interviewed by people like me who they'd never met, yeah. didn't know, um, but we managed to create a safe space where they could talk about how they, um, how they genuinely felt.
1: Mm. The, the emotions really vary. They vary from personal mm. feelings to societal, mm. you know, social how they are treated in society, how they are yeah. treated in the family. So there's really a, a lot of variations there. Mm. And uh, so, yeah. Paul, as 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 this expert, as the spiritual care expert, <laughs> there, <laughs> how do you help a child uh, navigate yeah. these issues?
3: So, I th- I think um, it, one of the things that was really important about this project was uh, with the siblings that we were telling you about from the Bryson family at the beginning. Yeah, um, they raised money for the research and for resources. Um, And so this was one of the really important things um, that was uh, crucial to them. So one of their friends, who I think did the fundraising walk as well, Mm. um, uh, Mm. she is a teacher. And so what we decided to do was, uh, between us, um, we would develop some resource packs um, for these siblings. And and as so as Sally said, with the research to give the voice of the sibling um, on these in our work. Um, so tomorrow we have another family day um, uh, of a of a different department in the hospital, um, uh, and and again where what we've learnt. Is not just to focus on the parents, which is can be a bit of a default of pediatric chaplaincy and spiritual players helped us engage with the patients. And so what we've done now is to have a whole new stream of workload just for siblings mm. and and to make no apology uh for, for that. Um and within our hospital at Birmingham Children's Hospital, um, we've got other uh departments and support workers um in 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 our wards that um have also got that within their job description now and we are able to go in and work with them and work with the siblings and not just because the patient's asleep or the parents are too busy but mm. to actually say you are an important part of this family unit of the journey there mm. and we've been able to do some really really uh, important significant works so um uh just two bits uh that I'd just like to share at this at this point um one d- during covid um we we were obviously coming you know we were finishing the research analysis during during covid and so um what we were able to do when when the siblings weren't allowed to come in to visit the uh, their siblings in hospital, um, we developed sibling packs.
1: Mm.
3: And what we did was we designed cards for the patients and cards for the siblings at home for them to send to each other. Mm-hmm. And so we sent the sibling pack home with the parents and gave the cards to the children in hospital. Um, and we when we did it we well wow, will, will this work will anybody be interested well for the first week we did it we we had a parent in tears um saying my children have never been so kind and nice and supportive to each other <laughs> and, and and it was just you know honestly it it was just really you know we did bespoke cards of thinking of you in different ages and genders and ethnicity and you know backgrounds and stuff and you know we worked really hard on the packs and you know we've got a really good as you know we've got a really gifted spiritual play team uh and uh Liz who's the who's the mum that Sally referred to at the beginning is a member of our team still and who's obviously very motivated um and so um we've we carried on that all the way during COVID and we continue with, with it now um, because sometimes the the siblings still can't get in. And, and it's lovely to know, you know, one of the early things, you know, when you when you said about, you know, spiritual needs, one of the things we found from our early participation project that I shared early on in one of the podcasts was these children that they might be poorly and they can't do much, but they want to contribute. And and so just to enable them to send you know a scribbled card with a picture back to their siblings, um, and for the the sibling who can't visit to to send in a picture or just a few words and just sign their name, you know just scrawl their name and to have those pictures around the patient's bedside, you know uh, you know when we talk about connectivity and connection as being at the heart of spiritual care,
1: yeah.
3: well. That that's the heart of spirituality. Yes. But uh, within that family, um, and we 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 felt that was really very very important to um to do that. Um. And so we've continued with the packs now. Even with the siblings coming in, they can't always come in.
1: Yeah.
3: Um. And so we've done different ages and. Uh, and different drawings and just sending gifts back to the siblings as well, not just to send to the sibling in, but to give that value and worth to to those siblings that they're important, their voice is important, their emotions are important. Um, and not just to communicate. Um, you know, obviously they' their six siblings uh, important to the life of the hospital, but but in many, you know, children's hospitals, we would understand the family is is our responsibility, and that's what I love about pediatrics, uh, that we understand that diversity and spectrum, that's different to uh, ad, adult care, um, and so that's one of the things that we've been able to do. Um, perhaps perhaps before I tell the the second story, if I perhaps just let Sally share a little bit of the comparative research because this is really this kind of directed us in some of where we went is is that okay
1: yeah
2: so like i said we did this proxy questionnaire so the parents answered the um the questionnaire on the um on their perception of their of the, of the well sibling and the well sibling answer themselves parents rated the well sibling not the sixth sibling the well sibling below the 50th percentile using both a mean and median way of of um, calculating that on eight out of the ten areas of quality of life um, r- related well-being. Um, and it really showed for us the global impact of having a sick sibling. So all the the, the parents thought that the, the well sibling was below um you know uh, below average on all of the, mm-hmm. the, the, the the different sorts of areas. The questionnaire covered, Physical well-being, psychological well-being, moods and emotions, self-perception, autonomy, home life, finance, peers, friendships, school and social acceptance and bullying. So, um, you you know, you can see if if the parent is rating them below the 50th percentile, the well sibling on all of those things, just how tricky life can be um, for siblings. Um, the interesting thing was that the siblings rated generally rated themselves higher. So they only rated themselves below the 50th centile of, of um, half the areas. So they were <laughs> a little bit more positive about their um, their own psychological well-being um, in, in particular. Interestingly, um, the greatest disparities were with autonomy, where the, the child thought they um, were 17% um, higher percentage points higher moods and emotions nearly 15 percentage points higher and probably the most interesting for our data school 21 points higher so hmm. the the siblings the well siblings experience of school um generally was much higher than the parent thought it was huh. and one of the things we discovered in talking to the children for some of them school school was that place to be free um For one or two of them, as we heard on the video, um, school was problematic because they didn't have time to do their parent. But for one or two others, they didn't tell their friends they had a sick sibling and they could just, you know, play soccer in your language or, you know, do do the things that they um, that they really, really um, enjoyed. Um, The closest the parents and the siblings got together was on their perception of social um, acceptance, which is the questions around bullying. and anxiety and I think both of the uh, both the parents and the siblings were close to the sort of the the middle 50th percentile which which suggests that actually having a sick sibling um, ca- can be problematic in terms of the sort of the the, the idea of social acceptance and certainly um, some of our respondees were just devastated at the um, the name calling, etc., that they that the, the that the sick sibling um, got. Um, so those were some of the comparative things. But they, it, you know, we were we were fascinated that the, the siblings didn't see their lot as bad as the parents thought that the well sibling <laughs> saw their lot. But then we did wonder: is the well sibling comparing themselves with the sick sibling? Do so they look at their sick sibling and think, well? I, you know they they rate themselves so much higher because they see that the life that the, the sick sibling lives and as I said earlier it you know it, they the rare disease had to be something that limited um the child in daily life hmm. so that you know that, that that was um that was that that was that was very interesting and it was um we found it really valuable to see the difference between parents and and, and children's scores in in that. Um, and the research report that Paul mentioned at the beginning has got the graphs for all the different 10 areas of all the different um, um, means and medians and things. So anyone's interested, they can download the research report and look, look and look in much more detail at some of the data.
1: So Sally, for the sake of context, uh, what is the age group of these siblings?
2: Um, uh, between 8 and 15, the, the kids' screen... Um, questionnaire that we did um, eight was the minimum age um that that it was valid for and it went up to 18 but in our context we um, managed to reach eight to 15 year olds because we did the research at the rare diseases events um what we figured was older siblings were probably allowed to stay at home or <laughs> go out with their friends and things so um so we ended up with um with uh people between um, eight and 15 and um quite a few eight, eight and nine year olds. Um, so, so some of the responses might be in the light of that, but we had some very articulate um, children. We um, were <laughs> very good. The, the, perhaps the other thing that um, I'd want to mention is one of the big differences is the age at which the um, the well sibling gets a sick sibling. So, obviously, some rare life limiting rare diseases or um, ability rare disease, um, you're born with them. Mm. Um, sometimes they're later onset, um, and one of the things that was interesting it was it, it uh, sometimes it seemed easier to adjust if, if in a sense you were born to it than it happened, um, than it suddenly happened. Mm. Um, so you know, so uh, sort of something like a a brain tumor which um, you know, that comes on and you become disabled at a, at an older age that disrupts the, the family life much more so for people than when you, you know, if, particularly if it's a younger sibling, they were born like that and you've all, you've never known anything different.
1: Well, with that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back.
0: If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI helpline, please call 1 800 950 NAMI. That's 1 800 950 6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to infonami.org.
1: I'm Soli Bem and we continue our conversation with uh, Paul and Sally. Um, I was really interested in the uh, scores. The, there's a big difference between the siblings and their parents. How they scored them, and how the siblings scored themselves. And I'm sure there are many variables. And the first you already hinted at it is this: is this sibling comparing themselves to the sick sibling, thinking, you know, yeah. I got it better, mm. and. Uh, also, there could be other variables. Perhaps they have built resilience. What are your thoughts around that, both of you?
3: Mm. I think you 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 you're highlighting some really important factors that they saw, um, because one of the things that we're aware of in life is that when we we compare ourselves to people less and more fortunate than ourselves, don't we? Yeah. And you know, like you say these these siblings have been exposed to some of the saddest things of life and some of the major restrictions um and and how they view themselves in the light of that as you know as the recording the film in the animation uh, explained you know when, when you look at it there's smiley faces and frowning faces on the animation when people if they want to look at it um and there there is that full spectrum um, but it is really important that that we that we understand these siblings are not having a pity party uh, on on themselves. Mm. And they do value their and look after their sibling and, and are valued looking after their sibling. And you know you you use the word resilience. One of the words we're using in in our support now is as much resilience. Where we're using the word resourcefulness. Um, be, because people have developed resources and it's a really an important part of the asset base that individuals and families have developed um, that they then put into other transferable contexts. And I, I know for myself, if I'm having a bit of a, you know, not, not having a good day and feeling a bit sorry for myself and, you know, mm-hmm. or I'm a bit post-COVID and got laryngitis and, you know, I only have to think of our kids in our hospital and I go, oh, Paul, come on, get a grip, get some perspective here. Now, that that can be negative in sense of being detrimental and ignoring my own needs. Um, but as long as I don't do that and take them seriously, it does give you a different perspective um, when, you, when you see how poorly some of our children are. And um, I, I now make a point of, on a personal level, I now make a point of watching any medical uh, intervention that I have to have now, I now watch, (laughs) whether it's having bloods or scans and stuff like that. Because I think if if I have to look away, what kind of wimp, wuss am I? All these things that these kids go through and I can't even look at a needle going into my arm for a blood test you, you know and 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 it has given me a completely different perspective and and these siblings um have got those new life skills um and theologically uh, it's a bit like our re- our um bereavement work i i don't look upon this as the will or the plan of god i look upon this as the redemptive gift of god Mm. Uh, th- these things are sad and heartbreaking and some of them are just actually downright wrong mm. um, uh, uh, and, and other expletives that other people might want to to use but that doesn't mean God can't bring good out of them and mm. um, just because good God brings good out of them doesn't make them good in mm. them in and of themselves and and I think we've we've been really challenged in that redemptive Side of of our theology, and the other side of it is so. One of the things that we want to do with these siblings, of these implications, is what what does it mean for for these children with their rare diseases to be made in the image of God? Hmm. Um, and that's been a that's an ongoing challenge um, to to us. Um, and you know i think it's just really you know very very important that we that we engage with that of how we see brokenness uh, within the trinity mm. uh, and and i think that's really very very important
1: mm. It surely calls for um good theological reflection in, uh, in, sally in, uh, in. sally i think you're more empathetic than this guy here paul <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> both of you have a lot of empathy for sure <laughs> So Sally, I mean, um there's a lot of emotion, like Paul you said, there's a lot a lot there, a lot of pain. How do yeah. you how do you protect yourself from being overcome by this pain and to be productive? Do you put on some war? How do you... yeah, what's the perfect balance? to feel what they feel, but also to provide therapeutic healing.
2: Um, I think I find gratitude important. So expressing, you know, um, as Paul was saying, um, expressing my gratitude to God, I would start each day sort of trying to um, ground and root myself in a, in, a, in a good place rooted in sort of spiritual disciplines and so in a sense I would want to start from a, a from a place of peace I um from from my Christian tradition the fruit of the spirit are really important and I will and I will often pray um pray for um for the particular fruit of the spirit um I need I try to keep myself on a fairly even even keel um, but I find things like um, journal writing or a little bit of sort of um, uh, uh, scribbling with colour and um, s- some some of those sorts of things are ways of getting things out of my head out, outside of myself. Um, so 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 for me, it's um, finding a way of processing my feelings so that I don't I don't carry my feelings with me. Um, Sometimes I will I will do the um let let's put things in a box. Um and just in a sense imagine process something and imagine that it that it's put in the um put in the box I've dealt with it or I will um I will sort of look at how do you how do I give that over um to God. But for mm. me it's the getting that balance. Um but it also probably comes back to my vocational Um, passion is partly is wanting to make the world a better place so Mm. by engaging with some of this stuff trying to disseminate it trying to um, raise people's awareness of some of the challenges and difficulties um, that these siblings face I also feel that I'm I'm fulfilling my my sort of my 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 calling and my vocation. So mm-hmm. that, in a sense, counterbalances some of the, the some of the sort of the, the the difficulties and challenges of doing such work.
1: Sally, as a principal researcher, really I give a lot of credit to you and your team. Uh, this work on understanding the emotional and spiritual needs of siblings of children who have a rare disease, I find it to be really groundbreaking. So, what uh, what are the implications of this amazing work?
2: Um, I think for for me, it's the educational side of things. It's the raising awareness of the needs of siblings. Um, one of the things um, that that came out really strongly to me is the what you may want to talk to parents about who have a sick sibling, um, because the children don't always at all. And what what we found particularly helpful was when the parent gives permission to the well sibling to be honest with someone um there's a carly carly simon song called no secrets um Mm -hmm. we have no secrets we tell each other everything in families there tend to be lots of secrets yeah we don't want to shame our families um, shame is my specialist research topic and i think one of the dilemmas that people don't speak up about because they don't want to bring shame on their family by in, perhaps implying mum you know mum or dad is a bad mum or a bad um or a bad dad so I think the the encouraging parents to give permission for the for the well sibling to find someone to um to speak to um as well I think is important um important i think perhaps to be able to do that a little bit at school and also for parents just to be a little bit more um honest about articulating the the limitations um i know i'm not treating you fairly Mm. um so so, so, some that's trying to raise um raise awareness um for parents about how the well sibling might find we, we we made the film partly because we thought a sibling might want to show the parent and say well actually I do feel some of these things I might not look like it I might look like I've got it all together and you know but actually you know alone uh, um alone at night I feel some of those sorts of things and the whole thing about how do we explain things what words do we use Mm. um what's cute at three is less cute when the um when someone's 16 and so, how do you know how how, how do we explain some of these things? And just the whole thing about boundary setting. Yeah. I don't know if you have siblings, Saul, but I have a sibling, and it's not fair. Was one of my favorite things. I'm I'm the eldest, and I'm female. I have a younger brother, and funny enough, my younger brother could do all those things that I couldn't do. <laughs> and much younger than I was allowed to do them. And just that whole. You know, um, talking through things like boundary settings. It feels like the six sibling gets away with them, and some of them, I think, probably. You know, we, we all try it on, don't we? If we think we can get away with something, we'll 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 try it on. Um, yeah. And the, the,
3: oh, obviously, not me at home. So obviously not. So it's not <laughs> involved
2: that. Obviously not. Um, and the, the, the whole thing about um, if we know families that where there are six siblings, can we help support them? Can we help support the well sibling? Um, often families are reluctant to ask. I think one of the things that we found was um, if someone breaks their leg or something, they get loads of offers for help, but they can't drive and things, because everyone knows that's going to be fixed in three months. When you've got a child with a long-term disability who's going to go into palliative care and might die, most people, or lots of people, don't want to have that commitment, which may be weeks, months, years. Um, and so I think I think it's all this about um, tr- trying to um, raise awareness um, for parents, for churches, for schools, for community groups and to um, have a voice so that parents can say, can I, you know, can I show you this? Siblings can say, can I show you this? Mm. And um, yeah, and and for people to realise that um, there is a lot going on underneath the surface, the whole sort of iceberg analogy. Some of these well-siblings, like we said, the one that I don't bother anymore, um, look like a delightful, well-adjusted child. But, you know, underneath the surface, you've got a lot of bottling up of feelings, negative emotions, the, the fear, the frustration. The, the thing on the um, on the, the little animation of I worry that they might die, we came across a lot of um, separation anxiety. I don't want to go to school because I'm worried about what's going to happen to my sibling. All this is downloadable from the Centre for Paediatric Spiritual Care website one of the things that we've wanted to do is that you know we want to disseminate this all this all the research and the resources that we've done are freely available because we think this is so important we just we want to just get the um get the message um out there and we want um siblings of sick children um, to have the interventions and support that they need um, for the long-term benefit of their um, their mental health and well-being, mm-hmm. because we all know um, what untreated mental health problems um, does for, does for people. And we, you know, we had some really sad stories um, where you could really see that intervention is um, was needed and would have been beneficial earlier down the line. But if people aren't aware that these are issues and they don't think to intervene because so many of these um, children, young people just presented, presented so well.
1: Paul, just on the score that Sally, you shared earlier uh, Mm. in the, in the interview, uh, the both scores of the parents and the child. Mm. um, Paul, I sense a lot of guilt. Mm -hmm. I sense a lot of guilt from, the parents they're scoring the child lower because they feel yep. guilty they're not giving the child yep. enough attention, yep. Yep. and the kids are scoring themselves higher because they feel guilty about the other sibling. Yeah, how can you, as a clinician, mm. uh, help with this guilt?
3: Mm. I think is it, the the phrases that we we're, we're trying to develop a, a philosophy of 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 chaplaincy, um and. We've, we've borrowed terms from from other disciplines. Um, uh, uh, unconditional positive regard will will be a phrase that is familiar to to people, uh, and and I think it, it's it's easy. Well, it's actually not that easy to say, is it? In one sense, unconditional positive regard, but but to actually practice that um, with with families, um, one of the things I think we've we've learned to do. Um, as a basic uh, spiritual and pastoral need that you've touched on, as a religious need, is to normalise these feelings for people, mm. um, and and I think that's just really really important. Um, mm. And we've seen that in our pastoral care in so many contexts. And just to, I I, I can I continue to be amazed as we have the conversations. Uh, with with children and young people and families and staff, that when we normalise their feelings, they realise that there's nothing wrong with them. Mm. You know, when they say, "Well, I feel angry, or I want to rip their head off, I want to shout down, I want to throw stuff," and, you, and you, when you look at them and go, "Well, if I, I can completely understand you having that response," and you know that that you know when when we feel understood and heard and listened to uh mm. and to be able to have the wisdom to normalize that for people um it, it's it's a very very liberating and i would nearly even say a healing process because yes it might not take away those feelings but just to realize they're not a horrible human being that Mm. that is that they're doing their best and to have another human being look them in the eye and say well I just think you're doing a fantastic for for what you're going through and and that affirmation and that normalizing is just really Mm. very very important Mm. um and and that unconditional positive regard um with within that reactive people talk about active listening yeah. but i also use the phrase reactive listening we 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 don't come up with answers but we this normalizing this affirming mm. um I, I i think is a really uh, a a lot of people do it intuitively and i think you know we need to do it much more consciously and competently mm-hmm. um in 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 what we're doing uh, because it then creates that safe space for people to be even more uh, vulnerable with us
1: what are your final thoughts
2: one of the one of the things that paul talks about is the idea of normalizing the importance of having um having fun and just doing normal things providing opportunities for the siblings but also providing opportunities for emotional release for venting, for some sort of catharsis in a in a safe environment and but helping people to adopt safe coping mechanisms it's very easy to turn to unhealthy and unhelpful coping mechanisms but meditation mindfulness spiritual practices art um artworks this whole whole spiritual play how can we help people um process um emotionally um and have good coping mechanisms because we will all know people who, to- who who adopted poor um coping mechanisms but also to help the sibling to identify an an appropriate safe adult who can provide the emotional support that they're perhaps not getting um, in the family. But actually, that's something that research suggests all all children, young people need is adults from outside the family. But I think in in this um, in this particular context, um, you need people who um, will you know treat you with unconditional positive regard um in the way that Paul was talking about um I I we're, we're both we're aunt we're auntie and uncles and then you know, my my nephew gets you know gets the unconditional positive regard I I don't have to tell him off about his school or whatever but you know <laughs> and, and so you you need those adults who, who are there for you um to to, to help you enjoy um in, enjoy life and to basically say um I love you whatever <laughs> and you know and I think um and I suppose that that's probably the one thing I'd want to say if you. Um, yeah, you know, if you know families in these sorts of situations um, where they need the extra support, have a think about, can you be that person that offers a little bit of extra support um, to these families? Because we've heard from the, the, the siblings how much they need it.
1: Well said. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you very much for sharing your wisdom, your research and experience with us.
3: Well, it is a privilege to yeah. be with you all again, Saul. And um, mm. we, we, we wish you well, uh, except in the soccer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. That was Reverend Paul Nash and his wonderful wife, Reverend Dr. Sally Nash. Thank you for listening.
0: This show was brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. This episode was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Julia, Illinois. You can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are available. If you enjoy listening to the show, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com.